word is life and your word is spirit. And today we want to examine your word and find something there that will help us in this very troubled world that we live in, in, in this working life that very often consumes us. How do we find balance? How do we center, Lord? Enable us now to come under the sound of your word. Enable us to receive wisdom from your word and to make a difference as children of God in this fallen world. So we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, not quite sure what else is left to say after uh, Elder Edwin and, and Capo. But if, if you ever really doubted that, that our world is a fallen world, uh, just watch TV, right? I mean, it's just one piece of bad news after another, one evil after another. And who would have thought that in this day and age you can just kidnap somebody and chop off their heads? And yeah, just one thing after another. And if you ever doubted that our work in our world is fallen, just Google some surveys about work. I did. And uh, this is Straits Times of 18th of June, not so long ago, this year. Many in Singapore find work a chore. 54% of some 5,400 Singaporeans surveyed are unhappy at work. But top honours go to Japan. The Japanese workers are more unhappy than us, or unhappier than us. 2% higher than us. 56% of Japanese workers are not happy at work. 54% of Singaporeans. So whether you're a homemaker working at home or a retiree doing voluntary work or a worker with uh, employment in a job, Life is a struggle. Work is a struggle. Money not enough. Bosses are not understanding. Job is a dead end. PSLE is stressful, which PSLE is also work. And children not smart enough. And we all get very flustered. We just don't have peace. And then you're like, as a Christian, expected to continue working happily ever after uh, in home, in office, in school, studying calculus and, and not knowing what on earth calculus is supposed to teach you in life. And you are far from being a victorious Christian. That all of us think that we ought to be, that we float on clouds through this fallen world. There is another well-known survey, a global survey uh, done by Gallup. Gallup Post, very famous State of the Global Workplace. And this one came out in June last year, covering 142 countries. So you can see the global figures. Um, 13% globally of workers are engaged at work. 63% are not engaged. And 24% are actively disengaged. But for Singapore, and it's like so statistic and scientific, right? 9% are engaged, and there is a plus or minus 3% margin for error. So it could be anything from like 6% to 12%, I think. 76% of Singapore workers are disengaged. And 15% of Singapore workers are actively disengaged. Now, what is, what is engaged? A person who is engaged in his work is emotionally invested in his work. He or she is creating value for the organization that they work in. So, in Singapore, 76% of them are not engaged. The term they use for not engaged is sleepwalking. You just sleepwalk through your work and just do something. And you are actually in the school, in your school, or you are in the office, but you are living in another world. Maybe you are just living for the weekend. Let me just get to Friday. Just get to Friday. And then I am in another world. You are disengaged. 
15% of Singapore workers are actively disengaged. They are unhappy, they are negative, they are potentially hostile to their organisation. A good way to think about this is like that. There are 10 people rowing in a boat. One of them is rowing hard in Singapore. 9%, right? One out of 10 is rowing hard towards the goal of the organisation. Seven of them are disengaged. They're looking at the scenery as that one person is rowing and they're just enjoying the, the scenery. They're just going through the motion of rowing. They're not actually participating. And this 15%, let's say there are two of them, two out of ten, are actively trying to sink the boat. That's what it is like. That's what it is like. Well then, I don't know if you agree, if you look around, the ten workers in your company are... Uh, 7.6 or three quarters of them are not interested, uh, two of them trying to sink the company. I don't know. But Forbes magazine, Forbes magazine published an article that strongly criticized this survey. And they said that this survey is wrong, its methodology is wrong. In fact, the conclusions of this Gallup survey is very harmful for the workplace. And they pointed out to social psychology studies way back in the 80s where primary school teachers were told that this particular class had the better students. They are smarter, they are more disciplined than all the rest. Actually, that's not true. What they've done is just a random, a random, randomly assigned the students to the classes. But at the end of the year, that class that was arbitrarily labelled as more disciplined and smarter than the rest came up tops. And then they say 46 other similar studies show the same uh, phenomenon. So the conclusion from Forbes is that don't label people. Don't label the Singapore workers in that 76%. In fact, 91% of them are disengaged or actively disengaged because it becomes a self-fulfilling uh, prophecy. What you need to do is just say that they are excellent. Singapore workers are excellent and you positive talk your way in, out of this fallen workplace, and you cycle your way out of it. Is that the way to go? In the first week of this series, uh, Elder Edwin told us that work is good in its origin and in its purpose, and he had his great phrase, from God, work came to us as a gift. To God, work is offered by us as worship. And last Sunday, Kapo examined how work is fallen and therefore it is fruitless, it is pointless, and it has become selfish. Today, we want to see how work is redeemed. Actually, I need to make a point of clarification. You know that work is not really fallen per se. The world is fallen as a result of Adam's sin. The ground was cursed. The natural system was broken when Adam and Eve sinned, and creation was defiled. The worker is fallen in sin, and with it, the consequences of, of disease and dysfunction in, in social interaction and, and ultimately in death. But the idea of work itself, I don't think is really fallen. And today, it is not so much work that is redeemed, but the worker and the world has been redeemed and will be redeemed. The worker is redeemed. He is a new creation in Christ. The world is redeemed. We are going to have a new heaven and a new earth. The word redeem means to make new or to buy back or renew. What is made new? Tim Keller in his book, um, Every Good Endeavor, talks, talks about a new story a new motivation, and a new power. A new story that is ushered in by Jesus' redemptive work on the cross and His resurrection. A new motivation to work based on serving not your boss, but our ultimate heavenly boss, our heavenly Father who loves us. And a new power that is enabled by the Holy Spirit, the Spirit of Jesus. So what is this new story? that uh, Tim Keller uses this word, new story. 
it, another word for it actually is just worldview. What is worldview? And he says that nothing makes sense without an overarching story or worldview. And in his book, he told this story that he quotes from another book by Alice Dare uh, McIntyre, a philosopher. Uh, and the book uh, is called After Virtue. He says, um, someone is uh, standing at a bus stop and a stranger approaches him and say, the name of the common wild duck is Histrionicus, Histrionicus. Uh, <laughs> you stand at the bus stop and somebody approaches you and say this sentence. What does it mean? It makes no sense because there is no context. There is no larger story. But what if, what if the larger story is that you're standing near the Bangkok area, near IMH? And what if that stranger who, who said this sentence to you was mentally unwell, mentally ill? And say, ah, then it makes sense. Then it makes sense, right? That he is mentally unwell. Or secondly, what if the larger story is that you, standing at a bus stop, had a twin brother or a twin sister? Then, ah, that makes sense. Maybe this guy has mistaken me for my twin brother. There is a context. There is a larger story. What if, what if that stranger who said this weird sentence to you was a spy with this as a code phrase. And if you don't give him the right response, he's going to shoot you dead. So you better shoot him dead first. Okay, that doesn't make sense. Huh? Okay, whatever. So you see that this simple sentence, the name of the common wild duck is Histrionicus, Histrionicus, has no meaning unless there is a larger story, a worldview, a context. Likewise, work makes no sense without a similar context, a similar story, a similar worldview. It's like Kapo mentioning last week that this ditch maker, this longkang digger, digs drains to earn money, to buy food, to eat, to get strength, to dig drains. It has no meaning. Your worldview affects your work view. Now, Greek philosophers had this worldview that work, especially manual labor, was beneath human dignity. That's why they use animals. That's why they have slaves, because slaves are not humans. A cultured Greek person's work is to philosophize, to talk about ideas and philosophy and politics, the governance of humankind. Many people today will say that their work view is that work is for self-actualization, for the advancement of man, so that one can get power, position, property, pleasure, for self-fulfillment. That's why I work. Now, a worldview has to answer a few questions about origin. Next slide, please about origin, meaning, morality, and destiny. This I got out of uh, Ravi Zacharias, uh, one of the great Christian philosophers, still alive. Origin about where we come from. What is your worldview? Where do you come from? Uh, what are we here for? What is the meaning of life? And what is morality? What is good? What is evil? Is there such a thing as good and evil? And lastly, where are we going? What is our destiny? This is the world view which will frame how we answer questions about work. Why do we work? To be rich? Why be rich? To enjoy life? What is life? What is good life? What is long life? How long is long? Your worldview will answer some of these questions. But what if your worldview is that God is like a mad professor whose invention of earth and humankind has failed? And he realized his mistake, so he ends up destroying all creation. And the only consolation is that he will rescue a few of us, people here, who will live with him forever. And this few of us who will live with him forever will be like disembodied spirits floating with wings and playing harps in this place called heaven for a very long time. 
So earthly works doesn't make very much sense. It doesn't mean very much because eventually we're going to heaven to play harps. And therefore, when you work here, you just earn as much as you can, share the gospel, and then your body will die, your soul will live, and you play harps. Is that the worldview? And it, how would that affect your work view? So let's catch uh, uh, some glimpses into the future that the Bible tells us. In Revelation chapter 21, from verse 1, it says, Then I saw a new heaven and a new earth, for the first heaven and the first earth had passed away, and there was no longer any sea. I saw the holy city, the new Jerusalem, coming down out of heaven from God, prepared as a bride, beautifully dressed for her husband. And I heard a loud voice from the throne saying, Now the dwelling of God is with men, and He will live with them. They will be His people, and God Himself will be with them and be their God. Jesus' life and death and resurrection has given us this new story, this new worldview. The man was created by a loving God. He was not some random creation. Man was placed on earth for God's purposes, not to maximize man's pleasure or even man's self-fulfillment. That God is good and what does not fill, fulfill God's purposes is bad and evil. And after a brief surgeon on earth, we will go on to live with our loving God in a place called the new heaven and the new earth. And by the way, there is no more sea in the new heaven and new earth. For those of us who like to have sea spots, I'm sorry. Uh, well, there's some speculation that, you know, well, not speculation, there's a sea that we live in, which is like, I don't know, two-thirds or three-quarters of the whole earth, is actually a giant antiseptic. The sea cleanses the earth. That's why our stuff is discharged into the sea and all that. But in heaven, there will be this great river that flows through heaven. And maybe in heaven, there's only fresh water, no seawater, I don't know. Huh? There are more clues about heaven. Revelation chapter 6 when Jesus, when he opened the fifth seal, I saw under the altar the souls of those who had been slain because of the word of God and the testimony they had maintained. They called out in a loud voice, How long, sovereign Lord, holy and true, until you judge the inhabitants of the earth and avenge our blood? Then each of them was given a white robe, and they were told to wait a little longer until the number of their fellow servants and brothers who were to be killed as they had been was completed. What do we learn from this short passage? Simple. When you die, you go to heaven. Number two, in heaven you will have an identity. Martyrs on earth will also call martyrs in heaven. You will be given individual white robes. Why do you need a robe if you are just a spirit? So you will have a body and a body that wears a white robe. You will re be remembered for your life on earth. It will not be obliterated. You can call out. That means you can speak. You can express yourself audibly to God. You will talk to God. You will ask God questions and God will answer you. And therefore, you are not omniscient. When you go to heaven, you're not going to know everything. You have to ask God questions and you will learn in heaven. You will know what is going on in earth still because you're asking God. And there is time in heaven because you ask God how long. And there are familiar relationships in heaven because you are fellow servants and fellow brothers. And most people will say that you will know your parents and your uh, children and all that. But there is this phrase, a new heaven and a new earth. Why not just a new heaven? Why does the Bible say a new earth? God created the old earth, which was perfect. He said, this is very good. So there must be plenty of clues about the new earth based on the old earth, what it should be like, that perfect old earth. 
And in the Bible, we know that there will be a city, there will be streets, there will be alleys and gates and country, vegetation, nature, mountains, rivers, just no sea. And it'll be a restored old earth. There are many verses about restoration, about the renewal of the earth. And you remember when Jesus says in the Sermon on the Mount, the meek shall inherit the earth. Do the meek inherit the earth now? No, in fact, the meek are heavily disadvantaged. So what would the meek people of this world inherit? The new earth. The new earth. And God's plan for an earth, the old earth, the new earth, hasn't changed really. It's going to be beautiful. It's going to be good. So what are we going to do in the new heaven and the new earth? I'm going to share many verses with you. Luke chapter 19, verse 17, when Jesus says, Well done, my good servant. His master replied, Because you have been trustworthy in a very small matter, take charge of ten cities. So we going to take charge of cities. We're going to be like governors and mayors. 1 Corinthians chapter 6, verse 2, Do you not know that the saints will judge the world? And if you are to judge the world, are you not competent to judge trivial cases? Do you not know that you will judge angels? Okay, not very sure what that means, but we're going to be judging angels. Revelation chapter 2, verse 26. To him who overcomes and does my will, to the end, I will give authority over the nations. So there will be nations in heaven for you to govern. And Revelation chapter 14, verse 13. Then I heard a voice from heaven saying, Write, blessed are the dead who die in the Lord from now on. Yes, says the Spirit, they will rest from their labor for their deeds will follow them. And your deeds on earth will follow you in heaven. You're going to be taking charge of cities, judging angels, judging the world. Our deeds will follow us. So anything that is not wood, stumble and hay that will last forever continues with us in heaven. So you're going to worship God by taking charge of cities. You're going to be beautifying this new heaven and new earth, I think, through the same old stuff, through arts and music and literature and craftwork and technology and, and beautiful clothing and education and for Singaporeans, food. Okay, food preparation is going to be a fine art in heaven and it's all part of that creativity and that culture that God is going to give to us in heaven. And some of you will be learning to draw with Leonardo da Vinci if he's up there in heaven. And I will be washing your paintbrushes and polishing your shoes and loving every minute of it because there will be no envy or jealousy in heaven, right? And you read again that, that our deeds will follow us. Maybe the stuff that we are doing right now here on earth that we are good at, that God has gifted us for will continue. Our life work will continue. Except that there are a few professions that I think will not continue in heaven. We will be retrenched in heaven like dentists. <laughs> I think there won't be any dentists in heaven or funeral directors or even brain surgeons. But we will turn into brain researchers, right? I think it's going to take us many, many years, maybe up to all eternity to figure out how did God create the brain? And how is it that a little bird with such a small little brain can fly and land on a spot to marvel at God's design? And every project that you do when you write this scientific report about one particular aspect of the brain there's going to be hallelujah in heaven. The angels and everybody will praise the Lord. Wow, this is what you've done. So this is what this aspect of the brain is. You imagine your best work day on earth. Maybe some of you don't have any best work days on earth. Every work day is horrible. But imagine there is one, that everything has gone right, that the team has pulled together. It's going to be a foretaste of glory divine. It's going to be a foretaste of of heaven. Think about a time when the project that you did was rewarding, was fulfilling, you were under a good leader, and they praise you for your work. It's going to be that glimpse of what it's going to be like in heaven. And this is our spiritual worship. 
Isaiah chapter 9, verse 7 says, Of the increase of his government and peace, there will be no end. He will reign on David's throne and over his kingdom, establishing and upholding it with justice and righteousness from that time and forever. The increase of the government of the Lord Jesus, and he passes it on to us because we're going to be governing with him. There will be no end. Maybe we will just keep on going through the galaxies. And I say, wow, the Milky Way. So this is what God did in the Milky Way. And, and this is what God did in the farthest reaches of another galaxy. There will be no end. You can just imagine. 1 Corinthians chapter 2, verse 9. No eye has seen, no ear has heard, no mind has conceived what God has prepared for those who love Him. What work God has prepared for those who love Him. It may be connected to the work that God has prepared for us here, whom He loves. And so this is the new story. This worldview that provides the context for our work view here. In recent weeks, I've joined two family conferences, both in NUH, where doctors presented serious cancer conditions to these two families where work for them has ended because now they're just going through chemotherapy and all kinds of treatment and where soon life will also end. One's a nurse, one's an engineer. And I just keep thinking to myself as I sat there for an hour and listening to all these medical terms and three cycles and, and surgery and chemotherapy and all the side effects that will come. Say, it cannot be. It cannot be that our life, and these two persons are like, one's 60, one is early 60s. It's like, cannot be. Cannot be. If life is just like that, nah, then for me now, I just eat, drink, and be merry. Just eat, drink, and be merry because in the end, there's nothing left. I might as well enjoy myself here now. Cannot be because yet, the best is yet to be. From what I read from Revelations and other parts of Scripture, there is much, much more. The story doesn't end here. There is a new story. There is a bigger story. And this new story, this worldview, provides the context for our worldview here. And God has made everything beautiful in His time. What is His time? His time doesn't end at 80 years old. He has also set eternity in the hearts of men. Yet they cannot fathom what God has done from beginning to end. God has put this eternity in hearts. That's why when we go to a family conference in NUH, we say, cannot be. Cannot be. This is not the end. If it were, then just eat, drink, and be merry. So we have this new story, one that is ushered in by the redemptive work of Jesus. Secondly, we have this new motivation for work. Ephesians chapter 2 verse 8, For it is by grace you have been saved through faith, and this is not from yourselves, it is a gift of God. Not by works so that no one can boast, for we are God's workmanship, created in Christ Jesus to do good works, which God prepared in advance for us to do. We are saved for good works, work that is for God, prepared by, by God for us to do for God. What kind of work? Quiet, respectful, respectable work. 1, uh, 1 Thessalonians chapter 4 from verse 11 says, Make it your ambition to lead a quiet life, to mind your own business, and to work with your hands just as we told you, so that your daily life may win the respect of outsiders and so that you, may not, you will not be dependent on anybody. What kind of work? Quiet, respectable, respectful, mind your own business work. And work that is also redemptive, ambassadorial. Second Corinthians chapter 5, verse 17 tells us, Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, he is a new creation. We've been redeemed. The old is gone, the new has come. All this is from God, who has reconciled us to Himself through Christ and gave us the ministry of reconciliation. 
that God was reconciling the world to himself in Christ, not counting man's sins against them. And he has committed to us the message of reconciliation. We are therefore Christ's this. As though Christ, as though God were making his appeal through us, we implore you on Christ's behalf, be reconciled to God. And this is that ambassadorial reconciliatory work that all of us are called to do. Ambassadorial reconciliation work doesn't mean that all of us become full-time Christian workers. It means that all of us turn our work into a sacred calling, that we are working for God, not the CEO. We serve God through our work, not after work. Right? So from 8 to 5, we are serving this horrible boss. But he's paying me money. After 5 o'clock or after 6 o'clock or whatever, then we come for prayer meeting. Then we have Bible study. Then we serve God. It's not like that. We are serving God through our work because we have this ambassadorial, ambassadorial role. Our daily work that will win the respect of outsiders and we work daily as though God were making His appeal for reconciliation through us. And that through us, people will see faith and hope and love. That is the calling. That is that motivation, that new motivation that Jesus has given to us. Colossians chapter 3, verse 22. Slaves, obey your earthly masters in everything and do it not only when their eye is on you to win their favour, but with sincerity of heart and reverence for the Lord. Whatever you do, work at it with all your heart as working for the Lord, not for the CEO, since you know that you will receive an inheritance from the Lord as a reward. It is the Lord Christ you are serving. How many more times does Paul need to say that? You are working for the Lord, working for the Lord. God is the ultimate boss and the one that we ultimately want to please. Each day of our lives is to be seen through the lenses of this redeemed story or worldview or motivation. That our deeds on earth will follow us in heaven. It doesn't end here. So we have this new story about work. We have this new motivation for work. And lastly, a new power for work. This is the power that comes from rest, the Sabbath. Remember that God created man on the sixth day and then he rested on the Sabbath. So, man came into existence straight into the Sabbath and we entered the rest of the Sabbath because it was a celebration of God's design of the universe and of man. God's design of man. It was also God's design for this rhythm of life. You work six days, you rest one day. Work six days, you rest one day. And that we are to enjoy and honour God's goodness on the Sabbath. And so it is said that man works from rest more than he rests from work. First day of the week, we rest. Then we work. Rather than work tired six days, then we take a bit of a rest. So men work from rest rather than you rest from work. The Sabbath was formally commanded when the Israelites were delivered or redeemed from the work of slavery, from Egypt. You read that in Exodus 20, uh, at the giving of the Ten Commandments, and the Sabbath is one of the Ten Commandments, and it is repeated in Deuteronomy chapter 5 from verse 12. Let me read that. Deuteronomy chapter 5, verse 12 onwards, Observe the Sabbath day by keeping it holy, as the Lord your God has commanded you. Six days you shall labor and do all your work, but the seventh day is a Sabbath to the Lord your God. On it you shall not do any work, neither you nor your son or daughter, nor your manservant or maidservant, nor your ox, your donkey, or any of your animals, nor the alien within your gates, so that your manservant and maidservant may rest as you do. Remember that you were slaves in Egypt and that the Lord your God brought you out of there with a mighty hand and an outstretched arm. Therefore, 
the Lord your God has commanded you to observe the Sabbath. Therefore, the Lord your God has commanded you to observe the Sabbath. The children of Israel were enslaved in Egypt, and then they were redeemed from slavery. Therefore, observe the Sabbath. We were enslaved in sin. Jesus redeemed us from slavery to sin. Therefore, worship God, honour Him, enjoy God, observe the Sabbath. The Sabbath is a celebration of our design that we work from rest. It's a, a declaration of our freedom and it is an evidence of our trust, our faith in God, Jehovah, Jireh, the God who provides. And we've got to have this declaration of faith in the Sabbath that if you stop work for one day, you're going to go hungry? If you don't work for one day out of seven, oh, it's going to be a catastrophe. But that God will provide. This is His way. The rest, the worship, the enjoyment of your design is important, not just to God, but to you. It is part of your redemption. And so we start our work from the Sabbath with restedness and with peace. And this peace that passes human understanding, there is this sense of unflappability that you are not easily flustered. There is this non-flusteredness. Because you will be flustered when you hit the office tomorrow, won't you? Some of you are not looking forward to going back to the office tomorrow. In this world, you will be flustered. But you will have a new power to work, to overcome fluster, to overcome trouble. Jesus said it so well. John chapter 16, verse 33. He says, I have told you these things so that in me you may have peace. In this world, you will have fluster. You will have bad bosses. You will have work that is difficult. You will not get promotion. You will have trouble. But take heart, I have overcome the world. I've been thinking a lot about this. Is it, is it really possible for us to be that super victorious Christians that, that you're going to be so different from your colleagues around you and that you basically float on air in the office tomorrow? Right, you're not going to get flustered. But Jesus says, in this world, you will have trouble. And 91% of Singaporeans are disengaged from work. Don't tell me that the 9% are all Christians and that there are no Christians in this 91%. I think that's we are flustered because we don't see part two. We only see part one. Part one ends when we die. We don't see the part two. We don't see that, that there is a new redemptive story, that there is a new heaven and a new earth. We don't see that we have this new boss whom we are working for. No matter how bad your earthly boss is, you have a new boss. There is a new motivation. And we don't see that we are working out of the Sabbath. In fact, the Sabbath could, be very, could well be very stressful uh, for you. And I think that is that reframing that has to work, that this new story or worldview, new motivation, new power is such that your world doesn't collapse when you have trouble, when you get the pink slip, when you're retrenched. Your world doesn't collapse. You have this new story, new motivation, new power such that your world doesn't collapse when you walk into this family conference in NUH and the cancer doctor tells you the bad news. You're not going to collapse because there is a part two. That in this, this new story, this new motivation, new power shows the redemptive nature and the power of God in your life. When your business fails and you have to downgrade from, I don't know, a huge bungalow to a two-room flat and God sustains you through that tragedy, there is a redemptive meaning when you go through that because the story continues in a new heaven and a new earth. It shows the redemptive power of God 
and God's nature in your life, when you leave your, I don't know, six or seven-figure salary and you take on a lower-paying job because you need to spend more time with uh, an elderly uh, parent who's got dementia or something, or, or your children has got some m- mental uh, illness and maybe your children is autistic or something, and you just got to do that. And you're going to be looking so foolish for doing that. There is this redemptive meaning to your life. And this new story, this new motivation, this new power, you can handle it when you were fired for stealing. And it's so shameful. You may even have to go spend some time in jail, but you repent and you work your way back into a respectable job. Much lower paying. You're never going to get the old glory that you have. But that redemptive power works. There's a new story now. A new motivation. A new power. Or you may be so successful. Everything you touch turns to gold. And success just comes, comes easy to you. But you know, you know that it is a gift of grace. It doesn't get to your head. You can be rich and, and people will envy you. <laughs> you got it so easy. But you continue to live humbly as Christ's ambassadors. You continue your work, your ministry of reconciliation. You spend money wisely. You spend it frugally. You mind your own business. You win the respect of outsiders. There is this new redemptive story in your life. In this world, you will have trouble. In this job, in this work, you will get flustered. But there is, even in trouble, a redemptive purpose. Let me just, um, going to end soon, quote something that I've kept for many years. And I thought it's a, a meaningful quote. It says, if you are having conflicts with your boss, God may be trying to teach you something about biblical submission to authority. If you are in a very tight financial situation, God may be teaching you something about generosity or materialism. If you are being treated unjustly at your job, God may be teaching you how to be at peace in difficult circumstances. If you are without a job, God may be teaching you dependence on Him and causing you to re-evaluate your priorities and your objectives. If you are under pressure in your job because you have not done your work well, He may be teaching you something about faithfulness and dependability. If you are experiencing fear and insecurity in your job, He may be teaching you dependence on God and finding your security in Him. Let me invite the musicians to come and uh, help us with the closing song. Some people say that I haven't had a job for many years now. <laughs> it's been 15, 14 years. When I had a job, when I had a job, and during one of the most difficult times in my job, one of the most stressful times in my job, I, I developed a phrase and this phrase says, and I tell, tell it to my friends, I say, when, when your eternal issues are settled, you can take a lot of nonsense in your job. When your eternal issues are settled, you, you can take a lot of nonsense in your job. So this morning, as I was thinking about this, I thought uh, I'll, I'll use a lot of C instead. I say, when Christ is your center, you can take a lot of crap. <laughs> Easier to remember. No? When Christ is your center, you can take a lot of crap. So I really like you tomorrow you know, when you go to your job you're going to be this new person yeah continue to be flustered you know continue to have these lines here but you're a new person because you got this story you got this story there is a part two it doesn't end here there's a part two and the best is yet to be and there is this new motivation boss yes but my boss above you my boss is God and there is this new power because I just, I just had a Sabbath on Sunday. Today, I worship God and I feel free. And tomorrow, I start work. I'm rested. I'm centered. Why don't we stand as we sing this song together? Jesus, be the center of my life.
Do not be anxious about anything, but in everything, by prayer and petition with thanksgiving, present your requests to God. And the peace of God, which transcends all understanding, will guard your hearts and your minds in Christ Jesus. Finally, brothers, whatever is true, whatever is noble, whatever is right, Whatever is pure, whatever is lovely, whatever is admirable, if anything is excellent or praiseworthy, think about such things. It is a kind of peace that transcends human understanding. A peace that operates in the midst of flusteredness, of stress at work, even in the midst of a dead-end job. But what do we think about 
that there is a new story, a part two, a story of redemption, a story of heaven, a new heaven, new earth, that God has work prepared for us to do. That our deeds will follow us. We don't understand how some of the very mundane work on earth that we do might even follow us in heaven. But God's got a way. It's not going to end here. We will find true meaning in work when we get to the new heaven and the new earth. But for now, we have a new motivation. Whoever your boss is or lousy subordinates, you are not working for them. You are working for God. You are working as an ambassador and as a minister of reconciliation. This is who you are. You are better than than a high-strung boss that you might be or that flustered worker. You are better than that. You are an ambassador of Jesus and a minister of reconciliation. And today, as we rest in God, as we enjoy God's design of six days of labor, one day of work, as we enjoy God's design of us as children of loving God, fallen, yes, but also redeemed, as we place our faith in God, that He is Jehovah Jireh, He will take care of us. I pray that each one of us will step out of here with a new spring in our step. Because we do have this story, we do have this motivation, we do have this power. And not only that, that you will spread the good news to all our friends, to that 91% of Singaporeans who are disengaged at work. It's more than that. Will God help us? Will God strengthen us for the work week ahead? Would He give us peace that human beings cannot understand? A peace that passes human understanding? Would He give us a strength that is joy? That the joy of the Lord will be our strength. Moving out from here. Thank you, Lord. Thank you and we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. We want to meet you at level two, fathers. Hey guys, we need a short break. Maybe and that applies to Chingan also. We'll see you back, no? Chingan. Do you sound, no? Hey, Chingan, where are you going? Okay. Uh, thanks, anyway, Chingan. Ten, maybe ten five zero. Where? Yeah. Short, short break, huh?
Test one, two. Hmm. Testing, testing. Test, test, test. Is there anything? Got? Okay. Yeah. <laughs> 